Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. We have a special guest with us today, our regular gaming group buddy, Jerry. Hi, everyone. Yeah, Jerry is the new V in MVP board games. So the V is kind of a floating V. So for those of you who don't know, M is for Mike. Hi. P is for (laughs) Peter. And the V was originally for Mike's wife, Vanessa, because she did our art. And she is still an honorary V. But we also have Jerry V over here, who is also an honorary V in the MVP. And by the way, to explain what the heck Peter is talking about, (laughs) if you just know the one-stop co-op shop brand... Uh, Peter and I are both game designers. Hopefully that comes through in our podcast episodes. And we design games under the MVP board games uh, business label. So now that I've muddied the waters, Jerry, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get into gaming? I started off in Dungeons & Dragons when I was in elementary school, actually. We never really played seriously. It was kind of just goofing around. But from there, I kind of fell out of uh, doing gaming for a while until I got to college where we'd play some of the more advanced board games like Advanced Civ and Titan. And then... Again, we fell out of gaming for a while, and then once upon a time I was in a store and I looked at an issue of Games Magazine, and it was had a feature on Puerto Rico, and I thought it sounded pretty interesting, so I ordered a copy and took it over to Peter's house and played it, and I think we were hooked ever since. So I guess that was going on 15 years ago, somewhere in there. I mean, that was close to 2000, wasn't it? Maybe it was just after 2000. Yeah, I think it was a little bit after 2000. But we even gamed in college. I mean, we played everything from spades to other college games with playing cards. <laughs> from spades and alcohol, to yeah. spades. <laughs> I mean, we played some Magic the Gathering. We even got into some 40K, although I don't know that we actually ever played a game. But, you know, we did some going to the store and buying and modeling and stuff like that. We did play Warhammer Fantasy Battle for a while. I'll say confidently that I bought $200 worth of 40K stuff glued some of it together, painted none of it, and never played a single game (laughs) when I was a teenager. (laughs) And then uh, I know we also played some Nuclear Escalation when we were in college, so there were some other games involved still. Yep, very true. I remember we played Nuclear War, Nuclear Escalation, the whole series. Very cool. Well, thanks for joining us today, Jerry. So we are going to continue our discussion from last week. Last week we did our review of Brook City, and this week we are going to do a design discussion related to that, which is the modular deck system, which is a term that the Saddlers have coined, but was around even before they made Street Masters Brook City. It was around with Sentinels of the Multiverse, and so they kind of transported it over to those games. And we have some other games that kind of tangentially relate as well. So, um, Jerry, as our guest, what do you think about these modular deck system games? What are some of your favorite parts about them? Well, I've always liked variable player powers, and I think the modular deck system really just is kicking that up a notch. So usually, like, variable player powers is usually each player will have one or two different differentiators that are special powers that let them do something. But these games tend, they have the entire deck that's unique to that player. So it's really making the play experience quite different depending on which character you are in the game. So I I really enjoy that. All right, Mike, how about you? Anything to add to that? 
I mean, I, I have a lot of pros, but I do want to build on what Jerry said. I think whether or not you like the sort of overall modular deck system as laid out in Sentinel of the Multiverse and these games but from uh, Blacklist Games, I think almost everyone can agree that it's fun to have a unique player deck. Because you see that in all kinds of games where they don't have any other unique decks. They don't have, like, sort of the modular mix-and-match thing. You know, Gloomhaven has a unique deck for each character class. Uh, Maximum Apocalypse has a unique deck for each player. And I think that's always kind of fun, just the exploration of the character. I think uh, that's immensely popular. And it's kind of a... For for me, it's different than the excitement you get from a deck builder, because here it's almost like the end of a deck builder. Like, you've created something that is unique and all your own except it's been created and balanced for you to be as exciting as possible. So I think that's kind of universally, or well, not universally, but I think most people really enjoy that. Clearly, Jerry does as well. I think what a lot of our design discussion is probably going to go into is the other aspect of it, like having decks for the enemies that are separate and unique and having uh, decks for other things that are separate and unique and the combination of all of those. I think that's what really goes into the modular deck system and is the part that could be hit or miss for some people. Yeah, no, I'm going to agree. Staying with the hero decks, I'm really a fan of not having to create my own deck. Now, one game that just came out recently that does it and even takes it to the next level, I think, is Journeys in Middle-Earth. I really like that combination of taking a character class and then adding a special unique person on top of that. So you can take you know, Bilbo and put any class on top of him. You know, they obviously have recommendations that work well together, but I think it's kind of neat there where you have a deck and it's not the same. I mean, there's definitely not the level of depth that there is in a lot of these modular deck systems. So I love the idea of taking like this character and then taking this class and, and smashing them together like smash up and just having this one deck that you have. But I do like it in these games as well. I think, you know, maybe that next level, though, is taking two of these decks, putting them together, and giving you even more variety from play to play, even using the same character over. Something that I find interesting from a design perspective on these is that it, I kind of see all this as a, a outgrowth of um, Magic the Gathering, which started in the early 90s, where the game was both the construction of a unique deck and then playing with that unique deck. And I think it kind of went in two different directions. The, you know, one side of it was ended up being like Dominion and the deck building genre where the game became building the deck. And the other side of it is where it was sort of a pre-constructed deck. And that's when we're getting into this, you know, each hero has its own unique deck and where the game is playing a unique deck every time. And I just thought it was interesting how they kind of diverged from what I see as kind of a common starting point. And I happen to agree with Peter that I enjoy the playing the unique deck aspect of it far more than I enjoy the actual deck construction bit. I actually find that to be a chore. So these types of games are really perfect for me. Yeah, and that is a good point that, you know, even though we're going to be clearly talking about mainly cooperative and solo games that kind of use this sort of deck mixing and matching mechanic, they do have a competitive route. And we still see a lot of games like this that are competitive. I agree with Jerry, sort of pre-constructed magic decks... And even, like, combining colors together, like seeing how does a blue deck deal with a, like, green uh, big monster deck. I think you get, like, uh, you know, kind of the same feel there in a competitive way, like sort of this versus system. Or Battlecon or Exceed in terms of, like, fighting games with unique decks. I think you also get some of that. 
in a different way than these games are doing it, where, like, you have kind of multiple decks all working in concert together, and instead it's kind of a head-to-head idea, but it works well there. I'll also push a little bit on what you said, Peter, because I do think Smash Up is another one that's, like, a competitive game but has this kind of idea. I would not consider Smash Up or Journeys to Middle-Earth an evolution or, like, a better version of this. I prefer the single unique deck for, like, each player or each element because I think that you lose the uniqueness and lose, like, the variety among things once you start, like, pushing too many things together. Like, Journeys to Middle-Earth, which I super enjoyed. I think it's a great game. You know, I, I don't love that everyone has six neutral cards in there that every single person gets. I would have rather had more Bilbo cards that were unique to just Bilbo and more like a feeling of a very different play experience each time I choose a different character. Yeah, I don't disagree with that part of it with the neutral cards. But, I mean, imagine having a Bilbo deck and just a Thief deck. And those two going together and coming up with combinations. And then if you take the Bilbo deck and add a Warrior deck to it, you have a whole new set of combinations. Now, I understand it's not going to be perfect. And, you know, they're not every deck is going to come up with these neat and cool combinations. But just experimenting with them and seeing if you can come up with something neat, I think there's something in there, and I'm sure somebody's going to experiment more with it in the future. Yeah, that, that is a good point. That could be super exciting. And I think all three of us probably like the player side of these decks the most, and like having the variety in what we do and what we have available in our own deck. So if you had the modular nature in combining decks, like you just said, maybe that could be kind of a, a cool variation on this. Yeah, but kind of getting back to what you were saying before, Jerry, I never thought of that before, and you're right. You know, the first game that I can think of that did this, and I'm sure there were many before it, was Blue Moon, though, in a competitive setting. Take that head-to-head, magic-type feeling, but give you these pre-built decks that are meant to synergize together and work together. And the most recent one I can think of is Keyforge, where everybody gets their own unique deck. And, you know, those aren't even pre-constructed, so they may or may not work very well together. Who knows? So I think, you know, we all like unique decks, but let's dig a little bit more into what makes the modular deck system maybe different and better or worse for some people. And that's, uh, so for the people who didn't listen last week or just aren't as familiar with these, Sentinels of the Multiverse, Brook City, Street Masters, and the upcoming Alter Quest, they all have at least three different types of decks in play. I think Alter Quest is the first one to have four. So Sentinels is the first game I'm aware of that did it in this specific way. But there you have hero decks for each player, you have a villain deck that you're trying to defeat, and then you additionally have kind of this neutral add-on environment deck that isn't really entirely necessary for gameplay. Like, in a way, you could just cut that one out entirely, but it just adds like a little flair and extra stuff to the, the setting and the mechanics of the game. So, taking away just the unique hero decks, how do we feel overall about at least how these four games have done kind of this mix-and-match deck thing. Clearly, people could design it very differently than we've seen so far. Well, uh, I can remember when I first heard of Sentinels of the Multiverse. I was a big fan of the theme. I'm not really into comic books, but I, I do like the superhero theme. And the whole idea of having different villains that you can combine with the environments and the heroes that you're playing to basically create an almost infinite number of play experiences originally really got me excited for the game. And then I started to play it. And it was, it's fun, but just because you can do the modular combination of all these things does not necessarily mean it's going to result in a fun result. And I found that frequently with Sentinels, either the, you know, the combination of the villains and the environments was too fiddly, like keeping track of things. You might have like six different cards active 
giving you bonuses or you know penalties when each individual card you play at at one time which was difficult to to keep track of and sometimes the the experience would just fall flat so especially if you hadn't like you know read online about good combinations or played it an awful lot if you just sat down and kind of randomly put stuff together you had you had a chance of having just a uh, either a long or frustrating game experience so I liked it in theory when I heard it, but in practice, I think it's a little bit more difficult to pull off than you might expect. Yeah, and the other thing I'll say, and this is no knock against AlterQuest, because I actually enjoyed my play of AlterQuest, and I'm looking forward to exploring it a lot more. But just because you can add more decks to this system does not mean that you should add more decks to this system, right? It's not like the the Razors, you know, you had the Mach 3 and then the Quattro or whatever. Like, we don't need to keep adding Razor Blades here. Like, every Razor Blade that we're adding or every deck that we're adding to this system increases the complication multiple fold. So I think it is one of those things where, you know, we have to be careful not to just keep adding things because we can, but to do it in a way, and I think AlterQuest does it in a way that doesn't really increase the complexity too much over the the previous systems. But it is a caution I have for anybody designing games and wanting to like kind of mash these decks all together. I think the more variables you add in, the more chance you have of something breaking or just the fiddliness going up out of control. Yeah, and to jump onto what both of you said, I do think that having this many moving pieces that can be combined in unexpected ways makes it very easy to have a fragile game experience. And what I mean by fragile is this kind of thing that both of you already said. Jerry said that you might have combinations that just aren't fun or that are unwinnable or are too easy. And it's really tough as a designer, I imagine. We haven't made one of these types of games, but we can see how <laughs> how tough it is for the people making these games to get them balanced just right in terms of the ones we've played. I think it's very tough as a designer to like prepare for all the possible variations because if you're building something that is supposed to have infinite variety and infinite replayability and combinations, there are going to be some that are duds and some that are excellent. I think that some games do a better job of this um, in terms of preparing the players and like giving complexity or difficulty levels for cards in a transparent way. That's still not going to be a substitute for experience with the game. Like I play Sentinels a lot, both on the app and in person. And if I was going to play a game with different people now, like a new group, I would have a very good idea of what I should combine to make it as fun and straightforward and like simple for them for a first game experience as possible. I think uh, so. Street Masters did not come out with any difficulty cards or kind of rankings at first, but they are being added with the Aftershock expansion. I think that'll definitely make the game more playable for the average person. Brook City also doesn't have them, although I hope they will come uh, with whatever expansion they come out with next with Brook City. And then Alter Quest, I think the plan is to have them right out the gate. So the Saddlers seem to have learned that lesson, I think. And uh, Sentinels always had them, but they weren't quite right, so I know some have been rebalanced over time. But yeah, just if anybody's designing these, I would say start with the idea of... And even if you don't have like a difficulty setting, like maybe at least a little blurb about what this like deck is about and what it works well with and doesn't work well with. Like I've seen this in some games before. I think uh, Spirit Island did this well, which is not quite the same thing. Like that's kind of just the variable plot. Well, actually I guess Spirit Island is more like this than I thought because the adversaries don't have a different deck, but you can like kind of mix and match different adversaries and mix and match different spirits to get a somewhat modular play experience. But yeah, the, the spirits in Spirit Island, they have this nice little paragraph that says, 
you know, who, who they're good against. And the adversaries are like, this adversary will do better against uh, fast uh, spirits, but not as well against spirits who are slow to build. Or this spirit uh, really does well against towns, but can't handle explorers. So I think the more you can do that, some kind of transparency in the design uh, to prep players for a positive game experience because you might only get them to play one or two times and that might be it if it doesn't go well uh, is definitely a big thing to consider like right out the gate even when you start designing one of these games. Yeah, Spirit Island is one that I had on my list that that I kind of put in the same category as modular games. While you don't have a unique deck and you're still basically drafting from a common pool of cards, the variable player powers in that are so drastically different. It really does feel like you're playing a completely different game depending on which spirit you are. And I think that uh, Spirit Island actually does this sort of thing very, very well. The balance and making it a fun experience each time, I think, it has somewhat less options than something maybe like Brook City or Street Masters, but uh, I think it does a better job of always resulting in a decent game experience. Well, and you guys both kind of brought up points here about, you know, sometimes having duds, like some things just don't match together well. And that's one thing that Street Masters did, and I wish it was kind of the default mode is the story mode because it tells you put this and this together and that's step one of your story mode and it even gives you a little story blurb to kind of let you know what's going on then it's like okay put these two things together i understand the benefit of doing something similar to the modular deck system is that you can combine to make all these combinations but as we said you don't want people to have bad experiences so you really want to tailor the best experience for them, you know, don't tell them what heroes to take, but certainly say, hey, this hero is way easier to use than this hero. And that way they know that going in and they can choose based on that. If they want to choose a more difficult hero, they know they're putting themselves in that situation and then give them a story or a couple of things that, you know, work really well together. And that'll be really easy for them to learn with and then build complexity as you go. So As I've said many times, the way games are going right now, the thousands of games that are being released every year, it is very easy for games to get overlooked or to be played once or twice only. And yes, having thousands of combinations is great, but you need a great game first and a great combination and something to introduce people to the system with. So, I mean, that's the other caution for people going into these things is, Don't let people just randomly, willy-nilly pick what they want to do first. Give them a little bit of direction coming out of the gate. So I would take that one step further, and I'd I'd suggest giving them a lot of direction, uh, simply because, uh, like Mike said, you know, if you have an infinite number of uh, combinations that could result in an infinite number of scenarios, that means you have an infinite number of playtests, too. Uh, So you obviously can't do that. So having a campaign or something like that where you've play-tested certain combinations rather rigorously so that you ensure that they provide a fun experience is probably a good way to go. Yeah, and Alter Quest is doing that. I've seen a preview of like the campaign mode that you can play in the game, and they do very specifically say, hey, play against this enemy in this quest, next play against this enemy in this quest. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that as well. I think it's cool to have all the options available, but maybe tell the players what the best ones are right away. And then they can try out other things. Another game that this brings up in my mind, which, again, is not a modular deck system, but is a very modular game, is uh, the games from uh, leader games like uh, Root and Vast, the Crystal Caverns. Both of those have the modular nature of being able to play with different factions, especially when you add in expansion factions and things, and have different kind of combinations of how those work together. 
Root, in my opinion, does it much better. I enjoy that one a lot more than Vast because I do feel like any combination can be interesting. But Root does the same kind of thing. In the rule book, it says, hey, if you have three players, here are like two combinations that work well. You can play the other combinations, but we can't guarantee you're going to have a fun time. <laughs> and I think, you know, j- just being upfront with your players about that. Like, hey, there's, sure, there's 10,000 different combinations you can try, but here's 20 that are the best, you know, so start with these. Because once you've played a game 20 times, if you want to be goofy and like put all of the worst heroes against the strongest guy just to see what happens, you have the kind of agency to do that, and clearly you've already bought into the game. But yeah, I mean, we're all saying that you don't want to lose your audience and just kind of ruin the experience right uh, off the bat. Yeah, something I see this kind of similar to is uh, in computer games. The maybe a couple years ago, it was all the rage to have procedurally generated games, which are you know like roguelikes or things where the the dungeon or whatever you're doing is generated randomly at the beginning, and it's a different experience every time. And the pitch was, you know, it's infinitely replayable it'll be a different experience every time and you'll have a blast well the problem is some of the combinations that come up you don't necessarily have a blast so i think what we're talking about here has already been encountered in the pc game space yeah absolutely and i think some roguelites have succeeded if the core gameplay experience is good enough i mean two of my favorites are ftl and rogue legacy are both fantastic but sure (laughs) yeah ftl was the one i was thinking of particularly when that came out they've made significant tweaks to that yes i know the first iteration was not the best but yeah i I think you know comparing this is again a very different thing but comparing like a procedurally generated platformer to one that has been carefully crafted to be winnable but interesting and challenging is night and day and you could see the same thing here where yes it's fun for the players to just throw together some combinations but might just really not be engaging What I found is the first time you play any scenario and any boss to be the most difficult time you play it. Because I really, a lot of times, have to read through the boss cards two or three times just to understand what's going on. And I mean, you could literally read every card in the deck and still not understand how it plays out until you see it on the board. And same with the environment or the, you know, as in Brook City, the crimes you're trying to solve. You know, I read through those two or three times just to get a feel for what they are. And even doing that, I typically can't see it in my mind's eye until I get it on the table. So one recommendation for players now, kind of going away from the designer a little bit, is once you find something you like, find a good experience, just tweak one of those two factors. So you've got the two decks in front of you. You've got the you know, crime deck or the enemy deck or whatever you want to call that deck. And then you also have, you know, the environment or whatever else. Well, don't change both things every time you play. You know, try to have familiarity with one of them. And that way, when you start playing, you at least know some of what's going on in the game. And it decreases the learning curve. And I would say when introducing new people to the game, I wouldn't even mess with either of those factors. I'd really go with a combination you know that works. Yeah, something going along with that, uh, this is more a designer suggestion than a player suggestion, but designers, I think, should consider, if they're going to do a modular deck thing, leaning more towards one-off events that are then discarded instead of a ton of ongoing effects. Because I think uh, if we look at all of the games that use specifically the modular deck idea... All of them are much tougher to play when you have a ton of cards in play that you have to resolve every turn than they are when the cards are, like, one and done. 
Another game that has this modular nature with decks and unique decks as well is uh, Aeon's End, mainly in the, the enemy decks, the adversary decks. And there, the very first one you're supposed to play with in the original core game, I forget what he's called, he's like Blood Rage or something, this like rage beast kind of guy. Almost all of his cards are one-offs instead of like the minions you have to fight over and over again. Like he just attacks you and it's done, you don't have to worry about that card anymore. And I think that's definitely where you should start any of these designs with one-off things. It's because it's much easier to balance for. You don't have to kind of figure out the combinations. And it's easier for players to wrap their heads around. It doesn't take as much kind of learning of the deck like uh, Peter was talking about. And I will compliment Alter Quest. I think they've done this better than Street Masters in Brook City to an extent. Mainly with the uh, villain deck, at least the one we've seen, because again, we only played the demo. But uh, the villain deck was entirely made up of cards that would like damage you or summon guys, but they were all events and then they were gone. So you never had more than the single like starting villain card stay in play with ongoing effects. I think that's kind of the gold standard for what you should strive for at first, both to be kind to yourself in terms of playtesting and to be kind to your players in terms of uh, letting them get into the experience in a friendly way. Well, and I think the one thing it did really well, and I think Brook City does it actually pretty well as well, depending on, of course, which mission you're playing, but is even if you're going to add monsters or add complexity, have it all in one place. And that's certainly one thing Aeon's End does. You just have one row of things going on. And that's certainly with Brook City or Street Masters or Alter Quest, the cards that are in front of you are typically not the ones that are the issue. It's the ones that are far away from you. You know, you have these two other things kind of going on, and same with Sentinels of the Multiverse. They don't even have cards that go in front of you. I think the ones that are in front of you are easy to resolve because you kind of know what's going on with them, whereas the ones that are in the middle of the table, you know, especially if you have both going on, are a lot harder. But I think Aeon's End just has one row of things, and so that's to me, the easiest of all is just have either one row or have players have their individual one. But when you try to mix and match those two things, that's where it just gets more and more, all right, what's going on over there? Because I can't focus on that because I'm trying to focus on what's going on right here in my personal play space. Yeah, and to, to build on that, and especially Mike's point, number of cards that persist, it can be a real problem. So I don't know about you guys, but when I'm running the enemy turn, I, I almost feel like that's downtime. And the only thing worse than, you know, downtime between players is downtime when nobody's playing. <laughs> so if you have like six cards out there and, you know, Sentinels could could have that happen and even, you know, Street Masters, I seem to recall there there could be an awful lot of guys out. That is just pure downtime. Even when you're just going through it's it's more of a housekeeping activity than you doing anything cool with the game. And I think you got to be really careful about how many of those actions or cards are have to be resolved each turn because that, that can really put a drag on the game. Yeah, now to come back to a positive of the system, I, I totally agree with you, Jerry, by the way. I do think that the more variety you have in the decks, the more you kind of get the fun of exploration and finding out what's in a deck. And to this end, I think it is better... Now, these are kind of competing sensibilities here. I think a game is easier to learn in one of these modular deck systems if there are fewer unique cards in a given deck. So, like, you know, in an extreme case, let's say my entire deck was just a single rat card and that's all I had. It would be very easy to learn the game and learn the character, but there wouldn't be much excitement to it. I think when possible, at least for me as the kind of player I am, I want 
as many different cards in there as possible. Like maybe only two copies of each card, but I have a whole bunch of different cards in there to kind of explore and learn. Because for me, the exploration and learning of a deck is a lot of the fun. Like kind of finding out what toys I have to play with. But again, I think uh, if you're going to do that for the enemies, which I think you should, have more varied cards so that they really get their own like character and uniqueness to them, make them one-off events because you don't have to memorize them. You don't have 10 cards activating all at the same time. That's one thing I have noticed uh, in comparison between Sentinels and the Saddler Brother games. The Saddler games tend to have more copies of each card. Like I think, if I remember correctly, it's almost always... Uh, three copies of each card and only maybe six or seven or maybe eight uh, unique cards in each hero deck, for example. And Sentinels, the average character, tends to have more than that. Like, they might have 10, 11, or 12 unique cards, and a couple cards that are super powerful might only have one or two copies in the deck. You know, clearly it's easier to design something where you have fewer unique cards, but I do think, like, maybe it's the ideal to have a bit more uniqueness than we see in some of these games. Well, I think that could be a real design challenge because, like you, I I kind of enjoy the exploration part of it. Like the the first few times I'm playing it, I like to see new things because it you know makes me think of ways to use it. On the other hand, if you have some cards that are really awesome, like at, for example the the cards that persist in something like Brook City or uh, Street Masters, I think they're called tactics cards. Yeah, if they're the really cool cards, you want to make sure you get them right because if you're only drawing you know a couple one maybe two cards a turn, if you don't see your really awesome cards, that's not much fun either. So striking that balance between having different unique cards and having to figure out how to use them versus making sure that you get the cards that are really cool, I think can be a bit of a challenge sometimes. Now, that's a really good point. Uh, Sentinel has kind of tried to avoid that in some decks. I'm thinking of like Wraith from the base game. With some tutoring, which is a magic term for like being able to search your deck for a certain kind of card. But that's not ideal either, because then you're slowing down the game while you search for this card and everybody else just wants to play. So, no, that, that's a good point. Right, especially when you're in the exploration phase of a character. Letting you search the deck for a particular card is terribly <laughs> helpful if you don't know what the cards are. Oh my gosh, yes, that, that's absolutely true. So, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe Jerry's right. Maybe not as many cards so you can have some consistency in the experience that you have with the deck is a good thing. But but I will say, my favorite character in Sentinels is Wraith. So uh, I think that was because of the way that that deck plays. Well, it's also because she's ridiculously overpowered. And <laughs> well, okay, that might be it. <laughs> you know, there's many villains that if I get Wraith, I can just automatically beat them no, every time without any problem. Yeah, so, but I think we do come to a good point here, which is, and I think part of the reason that you guys didn't like Brook City as much is because they tried to make it more of an intro game is at least in my mind where it was. There weren't things moving around the board. You know, Jerry said, every time you're moving stuff around the board, there's downtime. Well, they took care of that. Nothing moved on the board. You know, some, I guess some of the enemies moved around, but very few, a lot of times things were just static on the board. So they tried to solve that issue. They also tried to solve the issue of not a lot of complexity, right? You don't want to look through there and have to learn new rules as you're playing the mission. Well, they solved that because most of their cases and things were very repetitive. You were doing the same things over and over again. But I think the problem where that one fell flat a little bit for us, and I'm sure it's going to be a great game for a lot of people, but where it fell flat for us is because there was so much repetition and it was a longer game, it got samey after a while. 
And so I think that is something where it is. It's a hard balance. You want to make it as simple and easy for the players to play as possible. And you don't want a lot of moving parts. Because like Jerry said, every time you're moving enemies around on the board, that's downtime when you could be thinking and planning and doing actions. So the more you do that, the more you're going to you know, take players out of playing their character and into just doing this upkeep thing. So it is, it's a hard balance because if you go too far, you swing too hard and then it becomes a monotonous experience where, okay, after the first 30 minutes of the game, I know what the rest of this game is going to play out like and I don't really want to play it. Yeah, I think it's even tougher than that because you want each of the decks to feel unique. If they don't, I don't know why you're doing this at all. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like if you're doing a modular deck system and every enemy feels the same because there aren't enough moving parts you can adjust between them, then why are you doing a modular deck game at that point? So, you know, I think the games tackle this differently. In my mind, the ideal is to have, like, have the board and have moving parts that let you, like, that give you the elements to play around with to create unique hooks and unique gimmicks to every single deck in the game to kind of give it its own feel. Sentinels, which doesn't have any of that, doesn't have the board, went the other way of having sometimes very complicated effects, sometimes tons of effects out at once. Like Jerry said, sometimes like tons of modifiers. And while I love that game, it's one of my top games, it is certainly a beast to run depending on who you're playing with because to get all the variety they wanted in a purely card game, they kind of, I think, had to make a lot of sacrifices in terms of streamlining. I, I think this also applies to Street Masters and Ultra Quest versus Brook City. I think uh, Brook City is a more streamlined Euroish experience, but I think that having less stuff going on on the board works to the detriment of the feeling of uniqueness in each of the decks because you don't have as many toggles to mess around with in making uh, each deck have its own identity. Or if you do mess with those toggles, then it becomes complicated in and of itself in a different way. You know, so, I mean, if you want this more standard, more static experience where things aren't moving and it's all about the players moving, you know, and you do mess with toggles a lot, sometimes that becomes complicated in and of its own right. Yeah, I I do think it's interesting, though, how Brook City took the downtime that was associated with running the individual enemy uh, activations and really just instead shifted that movement to being the responsibility of the players on their turn to make it a movement puzzle and how they get to these different places. And, you know, they did that by expanding the board and making it pretty big, actually. Um, I respect that they made a change there and tried to streamline it. I, I'm not sure it was entirely successful for me, though. Like you said, Mike, I think by having them static, it kind of took out some of the uniqueness of the individual decks, uh, the enemy decks, and it kind of made them feel a little bit too generic for me. All right, so let's try to think of a way to, and I mean, putting on our designer brains a little bit here, make it so that you can have cool effects. And I think Mike had a good idea. You know, you have one-off effects, but you can't always do that. You know, you want to have stuff moving around on the board, or you want to have enemies that present different challenges that you have to decide, do I go after this guy or do I go after that guy? So you want to present these different challenges to players. So how do you do that? while at the same time keeping it streamlined. And I I think I have an idea. I don't know how it would work, and I don't know if it would work. But I don't mind having, like, the three different decks. But what if you played them into one card row? So, again, going back to the way that Aeon's End works, you shuffle in level one cards, level two cards, and level three cards, but you shuffle them kind of together. 
So you're shuffling in kind of generic cards with boss cards, but you could do that with environment cards and boss cards as well. And, you know, make sure they come out in a certain way or even keep them as separate decks. But when I play a boss card, I play it to a row and then I play an environment card and I play it to the same row. So instead of being all the boss activations and all the environment activations, it could be boss cards and environment cards sitting there in the same row, but yet it's just one row of activations you have to deal with. You don't have to look in a hundred different places and get pulled away a hundred different times. It's all right there in one row. So that's something I haven't seen before. You know, we've seen it in some ways or another, but I think that could potentially solve some of the problems anyway with trying to look in 50 different places and, okay, activate these first, then do these, then the other thing. So so two ideas I'll jump in with, and this is apart from kind of the idea of it mostly being one-offs. The first idea is, I think, Jerry, you touched on this, that it's easier when the cards are kind of in front of you, when they are sort of owned by and run by a given player. So I would consider pushing that further. Like, almost every card in the game, negative and positive, is kind of under the onus of a single player. And I've heard some people talking about uh, the Sadler Brothers games and even Sentinels kind of doing this on their own like assigning one player to run the environment, assigning one player to one run the villain. So, you know, if you kind of design your game with that in mind and have each player kind of doing a few cards. Now, yes, you might run into the problem of people not knowing what other people's cards do, and that's, of course, a potential issue with this. But at least you would lose kind of that nebulous lack of ownership of the cards in the middle that can be the most problematic ones. The other idea I had... So all of these games, Sentinel, Street Masters, Brook City, and Alter Quest, only one type of deck is a positive deck that is owned by the players. Well, I guess you could argue that Alter Quest, the quest, is like what you're trying to achieve, so that's sort of player-focused. But for all of them, the other stuff is either neutral or negative. So what I might consider is that since the, the enemy stuff is the stuff that, like Jerry said, is kind of the downtime feel the stuff that maybe isn't exciting to run, only have one of the modular decks be that and have the other decks be player-focused entirely. So if you want to have three decks, you might have, like, the hero deck and the cool items that heroes can get deck, which is also modular. You're going to have different items in each game. But it's not something you have to run. It's just a cool resource that is directly uh, player-focused and gives players agency to do more stuff. Something I would uh, kind of point to that does this in a way is uh, Runebound 3rd Edition with the Unbreakable Bonds if you want to play co-op or solo. Because Runebound had this idea, now it doesn't look like they're going to release anything else for it. But uh, each expansion like had different skills for the players, and you could mix and match which expansion decks you were playing with for skills, and the same thing for items. Now, I never felt like they had enough character to them and like uniqueness that Runebound 3rd Edition really pulled off a feeling that I was playing a different game each time I switched out the items. But if a game kind of took the same concept and went further with it and it was, you know, drastically different stuff available each game, like as different as uh, different games of like Dominion or Thunderstone Quest or something where, or Aeon's End where you have an entirely different offer each time, I think exploring something like that would be a way to make it more streamlined because, again, you don't want to have a billion things to do with the enemies, but having more options for your own characters is always fun. So I, I kind of look at this... Uh, I took a different direction on that. So a game that I think is kind of similar to this modular deck concept, uh, but yet isn't, is something like Too Many Bones, where, you know, you have your highly differentiated individuals, uh, although instead of decks, you now have, you know, dice pools or, or dice powers. And 
you were going through a card deck that would, instead of modifying what was happening on the board or something like Sentinels, which, you know, modifying events during the turn, it would occasionally set up individual scenarios that you would then run through. I didn't particularly care for the implementation in Too Many Bones, but that seemed like an interesting concept for sort of keeping things different, but yet having the players constantly engaged. So I I wonder if there isn't something to explore there that it might lead to something uh, that I might enjoy a little bit more. Uh, Another game that had a similar concept was the most recent Warhammer Quest game, Blackstone Fortress, where basically with you'd have this deck of cards and then occasionally within the deck of cards it would set up a scenario that you would then run through and that scenario could be unique but there wasn't so much uniqueness to it that you were taking uh, an entire turn to run the enemies they all did the same thing within the context of that one scenario so you didn't have to memorize different powers each turn and that one went over with me a little bit better than too many bones but i was wondering if there might be some more area uh, to sort of explore within that well, and I think the storybook games try to do that, like Mice and Mystics, and what's the most recent one, Cerebria, or? Well, Mice and Mystics. Or, well, Comanauts. Fables yeah. and Comanauts. But that's still one scenario per game. I was thinking more multiple little mini scenarios during a single play session. Well, Comanauts kind of did that, and that <laughs> was not my favorite. But, I, you know, again, I don't think they did it in the way that we want. Right. So, yeah, I mean, each page of the book could present its own scenario and its own rules. Now, there are some downsides to that, too, right? Because we know the worst part of playing games is learning the rules to games. You know, when a game plays and when it flows by itself, that is always the most fun time to play it. Although I guess people could argue that because if that was true, then everyone would keep playing the same game over and over. And we clearly don't do that. But, you know, learning the rules is certainly the hardest part of playing a new game, and part of the problem with those is every time you turn the page, there's a completely new set of rules that you have to learn in order to play that one scenario. So there are challenges to that as well. I mean, I don't know that there is a great way to get all of this variety in, you know, you want an environment, you want an enemy. I mean, for me, the closest one is Aeon's End. I understand it's not completely in this system, but you've got 10 unique cards from the pool that you can buy every time, so that's going to change. And then you have a unique enemy that plays completely differently than every other enemy. And again, like Mike said earlier, I think the thing they do really well is they say, this is the basic one, play this one first, and you don't have to worry about running the row every time because every single card is just a one-off effect. Maybe you have one or two things that sit out. But it's a great way to learn the game and now add a different enemy. And the gameplay changes completely based on that enemy. And so you can add more and more complication as you're increasing the difficulty of the enemy, you can also make them more complicated, not just harder to beat. So as a final kind of fun thing to wrap this up, uh, if y'all are game, I was wondering if we could rank for each of us the four games that are kind of strictly in this modular deck system format of gaming. That would be Sentinels, Street Masters, Brook City, and Ultra Quest. I think we are among the only people in the world currently who have played all four of those, since AlterQuest has only been played by people who, you know, got the demo kit sent to them. So clearly we've seen the least of AlterQuest, and probably we've pl- all played the most of Sentinels, especially... Do, do you have the app of Sentinels, Jerry? Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sure we've all played Sentinels the most, Street Masters second most, Brook City third most, and then AlterQuest fourth most, like just, you know, in terms of recency of release. But yeah, are, are you, do you guys think you can... Uh, rank those in your mind real quick yeah no definitely 
right, uh, Jerry, you're the guest. Why don't you go first? Uh, Let's uh, how about about from number four to number one. All right. Well, of those four, my least favorite was definitely uh, Brook City. It was fine, and I appreciated the streamlined mechanics uh, from Street Masters, but the theme really didn't come through to me. It didn't. I did not feel like I was a cop at all. I, the game was uh, too easy, and it just didn't hit my sweet spot. So, uh, Peter, how about you? So, my number four of all those is probably Sentinels, because you know me, and I mean, I've said this a hundred times, I love tactical puzzles and tactical combat games. And the others have that board element, which Sentinels doesn't have. And all the modifiers and stuff, I just couldn't keep up. Even using the app, like, I get confused half the time. So, yeah, my number four of those would be Sentinels. Yeah, and for me, I'm with Jerry on this, uh, Brook City. Now, for different reasons, you can go listen to our review last week. But uh, it was just, uh, it didn't hit me too well, and um, I found it too streamlined for my liking. I think the other three are crunchier, which... You know, I don't think Peter necessarily wants as much, but for me, I definitely want that crunch in there. All right, Jerry, what's your number three? My number three is uh, Street Masters. So uh, I wasn't—I'm not a huge fan of that theme, like the whole Street Fighter Double Dragon arena combat theme. And I, I, it might have been the combination that I had played with, but I found the whole game just long and frustrating, and just not very interesting. So my number three is also Street Masters. There was a lot of cool things, and I really enjoyed my plays with it, but there is also a lot going on, and it just... I liked a lot of the stuff going on, but with the number of different enemies that came out, and I understand that they repeat, you know, there's only three or four types of enemies with each different villain, but they all do special powers and things like that, and it was just too much for my brain to handle. So, for me, number three was also Street Masters. Yeah, this one is super tough for me. Because I would give a different answer based on solo or co-op play. Uh, but trying to combine those together... I, I guess I would go with Sentinels, even though it hurts me to do so. And I will say, like, except for Book City, all of these three are likely to be top games for me. We'll see how Alter Quest shakes out. But uh, the thing with Sentinels is, unless I'm playing on the app, I find it very hard to get to the table... Playing it solo, I have to run at least three characters, and that's a challenge. I play a lot of games two-player, and two-player I have to either play with a variant or control multiple characters, which, uh, you know, to play with my wife or my son is also a challenge. So it's just harder to get this one to the table because of, like, that hero limit and because it's so hard to run. I think I think it's the hardest of these to run in many cases. So even though I adore the game and Sentinels is a top-ten game for me, I still think here... Especially taking out the app. I'm just like kind of thinking of the board game version. I, yeah, it falls to three for me. All right, Jerry, you're number two. Number two, I'm probably going to have to go with Sentinels. Now, uh, keep in mind, in my opinion, there's a there's quite a wide gulf between my number two and my number three. Because uh, I do enjoy Sentinels quite a bit. Uh, the reason it's number two, though, is because I find it a little bit overly fiddly. And matter of fact, at this point, there's actually, there's two different apps for sentinels there's one where you can play the game and there's another one that it's a app to help you run the game and when you have to have a, an app that wasn't <laughs> initially intended to exist to help run the game because you have plus one this and minus one this and plus two this and whatever that to have to track it makes it kind of difficult to uh, for me to get to the table but i really enjoy the theme it was sort of the uh, first one that i really recognized as doing this sort of thing and 
some of the characters I really enjoy, like Wraith, like I mentioned before, and uh, whoever who's that the Wild West gunslinger guy in the Shattered Timelines one. Oh, man, he's so good. Uh, yeah, I love him. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get crud on the slack for, <laughs> for this for not remembering. Like I can picture all his cards, but I can't remember what his name is. Yeah, I really enjoy. He, he's the one who has like the wanted posters and things like that, or bounties or thing, something. Yeah, so Sentinel is my probably not my number two. All right, so even though there's a lot of hate for this game, my number two, and this is in theory probably more than in practice, is uh, Brook City. So I see all the problems that you guys say with it, but they don't outweigh the problems of having to run fiddly systems. I like Brook City for its simplicity. I think if I was going to introduce new people to a game in this genre, that's the one I would pick. Now, there were things that I would like to modify about it, certainly. Like, I would like to shorten the time frame to play somehow. I would like to have a little bit less repetition, but that's something they can do with expansions, right? That is something that... I mean, the missions are what they are. I still want the enemies to be static on the board. I still want to do all the moving around the board. But I just want the objectives to change throughout so that I'm not kind of doing the same thing over and over. But for me, the simplicity of the system, the ease of teaching it and running it, outweighs some of the negatives that it has. So for me, my number two in these modular deck systems is going to be Brook City. So, uh, by the way, to redeem myself, uh, Chrono Ranger. That's him, and, yes. And yes, I absolutely looked that up on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel, I feel really dumb, especially since he has the word Chrono in his name. <laughs> Well, I'm embarrassed that I remember the expansion he's from and couldn't remember his name. Well, yeah, that's really funny because I would not have been able to say uh, which expansion it was. All right, so this is interesting because I'm the last number two and then we're going to number one. And uh, because of my number two, we're all going to have the same number one because my number two is Street Masters. I think I enjoy the characters in Sentinels a little bit more. I think I feel the uniqueness of the decks in Sentinels a little bit more. But Street Masters has much better solo play, like far and away better solo play. Now, I wouldn't recommend it for three or four players without the simultaneous variant. But for two players, it is also like excellent and really, really fun and really quick. So I think it's like more playable than Sentinels. Also very fun, also well-designed, and just a different feel with the board and stuff. So I really, really enjoy that game. One of my top ones of last year, uh, Street Masters is great. So man, this is, uh, is kind of wacky. We all have Ultra Quest as our number one, and it's the game we've only played a single mission with a couple of characters of <laughs> and have played the least. Well, it's, it's probably theory more than reality at this point, right? Like, we're just extrapolating what it could be and the experience we had with it. You know, it's it's not that we know for sure that this is going to be the best game. I mean, literally every character could be the same as those two that we played. And then <laughs> yeah. clearly it wouldn't be the best game, right? Or some of the other quests could be total garbage, you know? So this is obviously extrapolating as much as anything else. But from what we've played, the hint of the game that we've gotten, I think it does the best job of keeping simplicity because in that game, Nothing spawns unless you open a door. In all the other systems, something is constantly changing every turn. And here, nothing changes, really, unless you're making it change. Unless you choose to open a door and add more complexity, you kind of add it at your own pace. Yeah, the only type of card you draw every turn is a villain card, which I already noted is almost always a one-off. Oh, I think in, in the one we played, is always a one-off. 
So literally nothing ongoing is added from turn to turn, except for, yeah, when you open a new door. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, part of my uh, reason for putting it number one is probably based on hope, I guess, as Peter was putting it. But to some degree, it, it isn't, because what I did play, I really enjoyed the exploration aspect. I really enjoyed the theme. I liked how the characters were set up, where they had uh, essentially their some of their persistent stuff out from the very beginning. And I found the villain cards to be very, very thematic. And having just come off of playing Brook City, the difference was striking to me. So while, like you said, if the additional characters are playing the exact same as the two that we saw, obviously, yeah, that would be a disappointment. But assuming it's more of an expansion of what they have shown in the demo kit, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I'll just add, I think Alter Quest, from what we've seen so far, has the best tactical play for me. Probably even better than Sentinels. Now, Sentinels might have as much or more combo-liciousness between characters and stuff. But yeah, I felt like my choices turn to turn in Alter Quest were kind of the most interesting. And what's what's funny about that, I think, is that out of all these games, every single one of them has a very strict sequence to what you can do, except for Alter Quest. So Sentinels is play a card, use a power, draw a card. Bam. In that order, every turn. Brook City and Street Masters is a little bit more open. It says, here are the three things you do, but you get to pick what order you do them in. So you can play a card and then move, or move and then play a card. But Alter Quest is the first one to be like, you have three actions, pick among those options for each of the three. And for me, that also just made the gameplay even more engaging, made me feel like I was even more in control. And it didn't feel more complex. Like, you would think that not having things laid out for you like Sentinels and the other ones do, might make it more challenging. But I, I didn't feel that. I just felt like I had a lot of fun choices to make from turn to turn. Yeah, no, I never thought about that before, but I agree. I think having the open option, and they did that a little with Brook City, because they're like, you have move action. And then as your action, you could also do a move action. So, I mean, they had kind of a little bit there. But no, I think having the full freeform choice of what to do really did open up the tactics. Yeah, and I, I don't think it had a negative impact on, you know, like the time of turns or analysis paralysis or anything either. I think it was still pretty pretty streamlined. Yeah, now the one thing that they've done, and some of these games do as well, is you've got three actions, but you can exhaust these cards to do these hundred other things. And I think that's where the complexity does ramp up. I am hoping that in Alter Quest they have some characters with less of those abilities where you're doing less exhausting and doing things and really your three actions are just a little bit more powerful than some of these other characters because that is the the one point where again the complexity could ramp up to the point where my brain can't handle it is when you're doing these 500 like exhaust abilities in addition to doing your three actions and then it's like well wait a minute which are actually actions and which aren't actions anymore and so that's the only thing that worries me a little bit about ultra quest but, uh, you know, I have high hopes that they will have some characters that will be a little bit more straightforward. And it wasn't too overpowering, even when we were playing it. You know, they didn't bother me, but I could certainly see cases where they could go too far. So I think I have an idea for your next podcast, guys. I think you should do like a top 10 things that Peter's brain can't handle. <laughs> Let's see. Peter can't handle math. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's like the one thing my brain can handle. Give me math all day. Oh, leaving Earth? Oh, well, not that kind of math. <laughs> Peter's brain can't handle running an AI. No, definitely not. Reading. Uh, remembering modifiers. Yeah. 
No, so just leave all those things out of your games and it'll be fine. <laughs> Actually, Peter's just a sentient chair at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so I will say, you know, actually my favorite game that has a lot of these elements that we haven't mentioned yet is Spare Parts. Because we do a lot of this stuff, right? You know, we've got each robot is completely different. Each pilot that goes along with them is completely different. And you've got enemies that go in front of you, as well as events that are sitting in the middle of the table. So hopefully we do a good job of not overwhelming people with a similar kind of a, in three different places, kind of a system. Yeah, a current thing we're trying to do with the game, because we're basically done the campaign, but we're just uh, sort of fine-tuning the playability of it. We're trying to make it so that there are never more than two cards kind of in the center. They're getting resolved every turn. One day y'all will get to see this game that we talk about. All right, well, thanks for uh, listening. Jerry, thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me. And yeah, go go play some modular deck games or play... I mean, we, we mentioned a whole bunch of games that have modularity in one form or another, if not even uh, decks. And I think... I mean, we, we mentioned some of the best games around for me. <laughs> so uh, yeah, go go play some games and enjoy. Yeah, and if you want to reach out to Jerry come over to the Slack because Jerry's there too. So, you know, if you have any comments for him or any feedback for him, it would be very easy to get Jerry to come on quite often because when there are three of us playing games every week, it's the three of us that are on this podcast. So, you know, Jerry is definitely part of the group, even though he has only been on the podcast this year, second time now, I think, right? Yep. I was on the, uh, the review of the Golden Geek Awards when you first started. There you go. So go back and listen to that if you want to hear more Jerry. Man, we never bring Jerry on for an actual review. We just bring him on for these special episodes. <laughs> Got to bring out the big guns for the complicated ones. I'm special. What can I say? That's right. All right, good gaming, everyone. We'll see you at the next stop. If there is another stop. Oh, man, don't get into that again. J- Jerry, oh, yeah, Jerry, you haven't heard this yet. <laughs> Peter went off on the last podcast about the tagline, apparently uh, inspired by you. <laughs> what, when you say, uh, I'll see you at the next stop, but it's only one stop? Yes. So, so my explanation <laughs> to Peter, I'll, I'll repeat it from last week, is that we are the one stop, but we are a mobile stop. So it's kind of like we're the bus. So come to the bus, and we'll take you to all the good games. <laughs> yeah, not buying it. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop, where you can get great game playthroughs and five and five reviews. If you want to have a conversation with us, the best place to reach out to all of us is on the Slack channel. The links are in the show notes. You can also talk to us on Twitter at MVP Board Games or email us at MVPBoardGames at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us again, and we'll see you next week with another top five list. Oh, hold on. Are we recording on record or on three? On record. record what do you say? Did you actually start recording on record? Yes. Can we actually use this? No, I actually started recording on record. All right. What are we doing again? I hate both of you. (laughs) This is going to be the longest episode ever. (laughs) Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Long time no listen. Or, well, actually, no, it's stupid. Do it again. (laughs) (laughs) We're starting off great. Long time no listen. All right. They don't know we're recording back-to-back. Shh. It's a secret. (laughs)
magic, okay. magic of podcasting right there. So if you didn't listen to last week's episode, we usually will take a game, review it, and then talk about something about that game in more of a... Uh, that's awful. No, that, that was great, dude. Just like that. Keep it. Print. <laughs> I'm doing it live. Print it. <laughs> All right, so if you joined us last week... Nah, no, that doesn't work either. That there is in a lot of these modular deck systems. But I do like the idea of, like, taking these two things and mashing them together. Kind of like a, you know, mashup type game. Well... Like like Smash Up? <laughs> I was gonna... I was thinking... I was trying to think of Smash Up, and it just wouldn't come to my brain. That's all I got to say right, about so- that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I gotta say about that. Yep. Hey, Mike. Yeah. The wheels on the bus go round and round. Round and round. And at least it oh, wasn't Baby Shark. You're just gonna stop, like you're singing, and I start singing, and you're gone. Wow. <laughs> n- 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 nice, dude. <laughs> it's classy. All through the town. <laughs>